thing. Uh, we find things to unify around that aren't always the best things, and we find things to divide ourselves over that are not exactly the best things. If you want to know what being unified really looks like in a holy way, there's only one way that humanity can be unified, and that is to be unified around Christ Jesus. So we're going to go through each section of this verse talking about what it means that we're one body of many different members. Next, we're going to talk about what it means that those many members are still one body. And then we're going to talk about the way that that one body of many members is the body of Christ. So first, let's talk about how one body is a system of diverse members. Paul says, for as the body is one and has many members. Paul is using something rhetorically called a simile. If you remember this back from English class, anybody absolutely love English class or was I just the one person? I loved it. I never wanted to be in math. If I never see a number again, my life has improved. I hate math. I hate math. I hate numbers. Give me words. Give me lots of them. Um, Paul is using a, a literary tool called a simile. It's comparing two things that are literally not like each other using the words like or as. Uh, when I looked it up in the dictionary, it, it said a simile is a figure of speech in which two unlike things are explicitly compare, compared as in she is like a rose. Okay, so if you look at a little girl and you look at a rose, obviously they're not literally alike. One is a flower, one is a human being. So you know that they are not the same thing. But when someone says she is like a rose, okay, in what ways does she resemble a rose? Is she pretty? Does she have red cheeks? Is she prickly if you get too close? You know, in what ways is she like a rose? You're not saying they are the same thing. You're saying there are ways in which one resembles the other. So what Paul is doing when he says as the body, that's, that's the word as, like, Paul is not saying the church is physically one body. What he's saying is that there is a way in which the church, united under Jesus Christ, resembles the human body. He says as the body is one and has many members, then he starts actually defining in what way they're alike. A body is a unified whole made up of many different parts. None of your bodies is made up exclusively of one body part. Within the unity of the body, there's also diversity. In fact, staying in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, you start in verse 15 and you get this. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body was an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them. Do you see that word each? Each one. That God has specific plans for each individual within the body of Christ. God has set the members, each one of them in the body just as he pleased. If they were all one member, where would the body be? Different members are designed to do different things better than others. We got a relatively smaller group this morning because I guess everybody's sick. So we can be honest. We can have family time here, can't we? 
We can be family. We can, we can be honest. We can be open. We, we can just be self-deprecating. Like I'm a, Have you ever looked around the church and you see somebody doing a job maybe that you admire and you said, man, I wish I was half the Christian they are. Man, I, I know that pastor says we need Sunday school teachers or we need children's teachers, but I just, man, I just don't feel like I'm that good of a Christian to do that. Let me encourage you, member of Stapleton Baptist Church, attendee of Stapleton Baptist Church who is a Christian. If you're a Christian, just because God didn't give you one gift, that just means He gave you a different one. Please don't look. It's, do not ever fall into the trap. When you start comparing yourself to other people, that's when you get in trouble. That's when you get in trouble. Don't ever compare yourself to somebody. Uh, I, I, I heard an illustration one time. I can't take credit for saying this. That one person comparing themselves to another is like one blade of grass comparing how tall he is to another. They're both shorter than they think they are and neither one of them would have grown at all if it wasn't for the sun. People comparing each other to each other like that, that that's what it's like. We're all small fries compared to to Jesus in this, right? So when you start looking at other Christians and you say, man, if I'm not a Sunday school teacher, I'm not doing anything worthwhile. Or if you say, man, if I'm not a deacon, I'm not anything worthwhile. If I'm not an usher, I'm not anything worthwhile. If I'm not leading music, I'm not anything worthwhile. That's not true. You have intrinsic worth. You have enough worth that Jesus died for you. He gave his life for you. So never it's an insult to God to say you're not worth something. But on top of that, you have enough worth to God that he gave you specific gifts. He didn't give anybody else. When is the last time? Think about your body this way since Paul is using the body. When is the last time your pancreas warned you that a car was coming? Did it ever do that? No. Why? Because your pancreas can't see. It can't hear. Its function is not to do that thing. But how many of y'all think because your pancreas can't warn you that a car is coming, you'd be fine to just go without it? Do you want, do you want to just live life without your pancreas? Let's put the, the shoe on the other foot. When's the last time your eyes helped you process that piece of cake you just ate? They happen. In fact, sometimes your eyes will get you into trouble with that cake, aren't they? That's, that, that's true for me. That sometimes one body part can lead you into trouble that another body part bails you out of. That your eyes go, oh, look at all that cake. Let me shovel all of it in, your, in my mouth. And your tongue is like, yes, Lord, this is wonderful. And your pancreas is going batting down the hatches. Release all the insulin you have. Sometimes the parts that you can't see are what keep you ticking. So just because one body part doesn't get all the glory doesn't mean that it's not important. Dear Christian who is in this church, just because you're not doing what you think are the quote-unquote important jobs doesn't mean that God has not gifted you with the exact job that He needs you to be doing. So the body is made up of a diversity 
of members. So next time you hear somebody say, oh, church membership's not in the Bible. Sure it is. It's right here in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. actually even says the word member. So God intends there to be different members in the body. Now, we're about to be on the second point of this sermon. Like, man, he's moving quick this morning. Why is the first point moving so quick? Because we're really good at noticing our differences, right? If we're going to notice something about ourselves or about somebody else, we're going to notice differences amongst ourselves. So it's, it's easy to see that one body is a system of diverse members. Where all of us as humans screw up is on point two. We're good at noticing differences, but we're really, really, really bad at recognizing that those differences aren't supposed to separate us. That we're really good at being individuals. We're not good at being a unit. Look at what Paul says after he says as the body is one. So, so first we see that the one body is a system of diverse members. But second, diverse members are created in order to fit into one body. He says, as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. Don't get so caught up in noticing your differences and noticing your individual, you know, giftings or talents or characteristics. Don't be so caught up in noticing what makes you different that you forget that you are necessarily part of a larger whole. This is the less obvious and more hotly contested truth. Have you ever heard somebody say it's a feature, not a bug? Ever heard somebody say that before? When you, when you, when, when folk, especially in software, have you ever, any, any of y'all ever use computers on a semi-regular basis? Regularly at all? And you have that little thing in the bottom pop up, you have an update. You have an update, and it seems like it happens every two days. You're like, could you please just update it and fix it, and then I'll see you again in six months? No, that's not the way it works. They're constantly updating. Why are they constantly updating? Because there are things in the software called bugs, things that don't work the way they're supposed to. Think of it kind of like your kitchen. You don't want bugs in your kitchen because they're nasty, and they make it where you can't use the things you want to use. Same thing in software. They're bugs. Well, there are also good things called features. Features are the things that you list. Sometimes we treat other people's features like they're bugs because they don't match our features. That we focus on ourselves and we say, what has God given me? Well, he hasn't given you what he's given me and mine is obviously superior. So I want to surround myself with people like myself. We don't need people like you. First Corinthians 12 verses 21 and 22. That's exactly what Paul says happens. He says that I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are strongly suggested to be allowed to be involved. Is that what it says? No, what, what word does it say? Necessary. God is wise, isn't he? God is good, isn't he? Okay, so if God is good, 
And God is wise. I didn't even put, I, I actually wrote in my notes, I will show you later if you want to see this. I wrote the words, avoid going on a rant here. I actually wrote it down. This is not even on your handout, but I'm, I'm going to go back there because I, I feel like I need to. This is in my head and I can't get it out. So I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit's in charge and, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna read the Bible. So I, I went all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. And I'm looking at verse 18. Now, when God created humanity, He created it perfectly, didn't He? There wasn't a single thing wrong with it. So when He created humanity, how many did He make initially? One. Was there anything wrong with that one man? Not a single thing. Okay. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. You just told me there was nothing wrong with that first man that God ever created, right? He was created perfect. Think about this. When God created humanity perfectly in order for humanity to be whole, He still created us to need each other. He created a perfect being that needed another person. So why in the world, why on God's green earth, literally, do we think it is okay to separate ourselves from our fellow believers? Why in the world do we do that? When somebody says this to me, it just makes steam out of my ears and my face turn red and I don't understand it and blood vessels start popping in my eyes. When someone says, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Do you know that the earliest buildings constructed for exclusively church use were called the Aula Ecclesiae? And they were built in the mid-300s. You have to go through 300 years of church history before people started thinking of the word church as a building. If you were to go to first century Christians and said, where do you go to church? They would have looked at you like you were crazy. Because church is not something that you go to. Church is something that you are. Or you're not. This building, by the way, this building is not Stapleton Baptist Church. Y'all are Stapleton Baptist Church. And you happen to meet in this building. The word ecclesia itself, which is the biblical word translated church, actually means called out ones. So when Jesus calls you out, here's what, the, here's what Scripture says He does. When He calls you out, He saves you and He gives you a spiritual gift. He gives you abilities and talents and spiritual resources that He doesn't give the same to everybody. Everybody gets the same salvation, but not everybody gets the same gifting. 
Some of you he gifted to be Sunday school teachers. Some of you he gifted to show mercy. Some of you he gifted to show hospitality. Some of you he gifted to show generosity. Some of you he gifted to be uh, prophets. Now, what does prophet mean? Does that mean you walk around telling the future? No. That means that you can rightly interpret the Word of God and you can look at a situation and say, hey, here's what God has to say about this. Here's what's going on. Prophets tend to be, to be very, just. there's no gray area with them. That here's what God said, here's what's going on, so here's how God feels about this. Bam. Classic example of why Christians need each other. When someone's got the spiritual gift of prophecy, and they tend to be no gray area, very black and white, very right and wrong, they tend to not be very merciful people. So you need somebody with the spiritual gift of mercy to stand right next to them to say, hey, calm down, Hoss. You might be right, but you're supposed to speak the truth in love. Right now you're speaking the truth with a lead hammer. And sometimes the person with mercy needs the prophet to come up beside them and say, hey, I understand that you're trying to love them, but you're not just supposed to love them. You're supposed to speak the truth in that love. Prophecy needs mercy. Mercy needs prophecy. One without the other, both get in trouble. When God saves you, He gives you different spiritual gifts, but He does not intend those spiritual gifts to exist alone by themselves without the others. A liver is a pretty useful organ, right? Do you like your liver? Are you a fan? You want to keep it? Okay. Do you know how long a liver can live outside the body properly cared for? 16 hours. 16. But most transplants occur under 12 hours. If you ever watch it on TV, I don't know if the coolers actually have this on them, but it makes for great television drama. When they've got an organ that has to be transplanted somewhere, they put it in a cooler, and the cooler's got the big LCD timer on it that tells you how long it's been on ice. And I've never said, it terrifies me, it's creepy, but I understand why they would do it if that's real. When God's given you a specific gift and a specific function, He made you a body part, right? If there's anything that I know from Paul saying that the church is like a human body, it's that body parts don't live for long when they're separated from the rest of the body. Right? So what if God made you to be the liver? I don't need the the body. I don't need everybody else. I'm just going to stay at home and I'm going to watch television church and I'm going to send my tithe to so-and-so and I'm going to read my Bible here and there and that'll be my Sunday school. You're going to die. Your faith will just go... It'll fall apart. I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation. No, I'm just saying you're going to be useless for kingdom work. Well, pastor, isn't that kind of harsh? Well, what does a body part do when it's outside the body? It dies. How useful is your liver if it's disconnected from the rest of you? It's not. How useful would your eyes be if they weren't right here? How useful would your heart be if it wasn't there? That's why Paul says that I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. 
Of course your eye needs your hands. Otherwise you can't eat the cake. How many churches do you think have died because their vital organs stayed at home? Well, pastor, we need folks to fill this job and this job and this job and this job and this job in the church. Are there positions that y'all want to see filled at Stapleton Baptist Church? Are there jobs that you want people to do? What if the possibility is that those people are already in this community, but they're lost and dying and go to hell and need to be saved so that they can be included in the body and do their job? What if God has actually put in Stapleton everybody and everything we need to get everything done we need to do, and He's just waiting on us to go out there and reach them? What if that's the case? What happens in a human body whenever you have an organ failure? What do the doctors want to do? Transplant. Right? Now churches lose members for various reasons. And you know what God tends to do? If the church is serving Him, if the body is healthy, then guess what? Man, they're a good candidate for a transplant. I'm going to bring somebody, I'll stick them in that hole. Pray for it. Pray for God to do that. And if you ever find yourself tempted to stay at home next time, just think of yourself as a liver on ice. You can only live for so long outside the body before you, you're not a good candidate for transplant anymore. What does that mean? That means somebody else might get the blessing of fulfilling your job in the body. Somebody get mad at the church. Well, I'm just going to withhold my tithe. That's fine. God will transplant you. I don't, I, I've never understood that. Telling God that He needs your money has always seemed funny to me. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through the first half of 6. Paul says, As we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. When you don't use your spiritual gift, it's not a personal decision. It's a corporate decision that the rest of the church suffers when you choose not to serve. So first, the body is a system made up of diverse members. Second, the diverse members are created to fit into one body. And then finally, let's talk about on the big umbrella level. That not just in the local church do things work that way. But in the church universal. I don't mean everybody in the world is part of the church universal. That's not what universal means. What the church universal means is... Jesus doesn't have one plan of salvation for folks at Stapleton Baptist, one plan of salvation for folks at Pleasant Grove, one plan of salvation for folks at Hearts Grove, one plan of salvation for, first, for folks at Wren's Methodist, one plan of salvation for... You see what I'm saying? If you're saved, you're going to get saved the same way by the same Jesus. 
That's the reality, that there are not multiple pathways to becoming part of the body of Christ. There's only one Jesus. There's only one way. And you can see that in what Paul says as well. The, the last four words of this passage, Paul says, so also is Christ. So we need to put everything together. The church is like a body. It's like a human body. But whose body? Up to this point, he hasn't said whose body. He just says it's like a body. But now he says whose body? Christ's. Every single body, not everybody, but every single body is a unified whole of different members with different functions. But outside what we've already discussed, there is something that holds bodies together. And I I picked two of them out that I think I can back up here from Scripture that I think fits in that kind of explains what Paul's getting at. And that's all bodies share the same DNA and all bodies are under the rulership of one head. So first let's talk about what it means that all bodies naturally share the same DNA. This is why you can have both unity and diversity. And this is neat because this is... Scripture is so neat that this is true on so many levels that Paul didn't even know what DNA was. Paul didn't even know there was such a thing as DNA. But do you know that every single part of your body, from the hair on your head, down to the toenails on your toes, to your liver, your pancreas, your eyes, your tongue, your ears, whatever, do you know that every cell in your body contains the exact same DNA? The exact same genetic code. There's not an ear genetic code, and a hair genetic code, and a toe genetic code. No. The entire genetic code is in each cell, and each cell just develops into what it's supposed to be. The body of Christ is the exact same way. It doesn't matter which Christian you pick. It doesn't matter if you pick a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't matter if you pick a deacon. It doesn't matter if you pick a pastor. It doesn't matter if you pick a child. It doesn't matter if you pick, you know, what denomination. There are things that we differ on, but if we agree on the core salvific truth, they're going to share the same DNA. And what does that look like? Every real Christian is going to have this in their DNA. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither... Fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If you show me somebody who's a real Christian and you ask them about their faith, it will not be long before they tell you something that sounds like this. Man, let me tell you, I used to be a dirty, gutter, rotten sinner. But I was sanctified. I was washed. I was saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It is not going to take them long to confess their sin and tell you who saved them from it. 
I don't care if they're a Baptist, if they're a, a, a Methodist, I don't care if they're Pentecostal. That's going to come out if they're saved. Now, we're going to differ on some other things. Me and a Methodist, man, we're going to have different thoughts about baptism now. Me and a Pentecostal, we're going to have different ideas about spiritual gifts. And me and the Methodist and the Pentecostal, we're all going to have different ideas on eternal security. But if you ask all three of them, how do you get saved? If they're a real Christian, they're going to answer like this. They're going to answer like that. How about this? Jesus says this in John 13, 35. By this we all know, or by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is also part of a Christian's DNA. This is why whenever somebody says, well, I love Jesus, I just can't stay in the church, I automatically think they're not a Christian. Because Jesus himself said, this is how people will know that you belong to me, that you love other people who belong to me. So when somebody says, I love Jesus, I just can't stand the church, the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. So saying, I love Jesus, but I hate the church, is like saying, Jesus, I love you, but I can't stand your wife. Part of a Christian's DNA is that Christians love other Christians. Christians are going to confess that they're sinners. They're going to confess that they've been sanctified and washed by the blood of Jesus and saved by Him. Christians are going to love other Christians. And then John 14, 15, this is not, this is not um, in the New King James because I think the New King James does not translate this verb the best way possible. So that's why you've got ESV on your handout. Uh, and New American Standard will probably reflect this too. Uh, John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is also in a Christian's DNA. If you love Jesus, you're going to obey what he said. Oh, I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. I just do whatever I want. Well, no, you're not a Christian then. This is intrinsic to what it means to be a Christian. This is like a spiritual paternity test. Okay? This is like a spiritual paternity test. It's like if somebody could pull a hair off of your spiritual self. There's no such thing, y'all, as spiritual hair, by the way. I'm trying to make a point. If you could pull a hair off your spiritual self and take it to a lab... And say, tell me who my spiritual daddy is. This is the test. Do they confess their sin? Have they repented of it? Do they believe that the blood of Jesus Christ and His work on the cross alone has saved them? Do they love other Christians? Do they obey Jesus out of love and thankfulness? If those things are not there, their words do not matter. Christians, the, bo the body is united because it all shares the same DNA. All Christians, if they're a real Christian, are going to share these things. 
That's why when somebody says, oh, well, well, I work really, yeah, I'm a Christian. I work really hard because I want to get in heaven. No. No, no, no. That's not what our DNA says. Our DNA says we're saved by grace and not of work so that no man can boast. All real Christians share the same spiritual DNA. And then second, all bodies are under the rulership of one head. The head has the authority over the rest of the body. I know this is going to shock you, but I promise you it's true. The one sport that I successfully competed in in high school was wrestling. They needed a 103. And buddy, I fit the bill. I don't anymore, but I did then. I was 103, and one of the first things our coach told us was if you control the head, you control everything else. If you want to get that body to move to move this way, you take that head and you go, you know, get them in a grapple real quick. You want them to go that way, shuck them that way. Wherever that head goes, those shoulders are going to go. When those shoulders go, you get that leg and go whoop, and they're on their they're on their back because the body's going to follow the head. Your whole body is under the rulership of your head. And if the rest of your body is ever separated from the head, what happens? You die. Unless you're a chicken. And then that's just scary. But I've never yet seen a human being who manages to last without this thing. And then third, only monsters and tragedies have two heads. Only monsters and tragedies have two heads. Your body is ruled by one. Colossians 1.18 says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Who? Christ! Who's in charge of you? Christ! What is it that unites all Christians in one body? We got one head. One! One! We don't have an American head and a South American head and an African head and an Asian head and a Russian head and an Australian head. No, we got one head. If there's one head, how many bodies is there? One. Ephesians 5, uh, verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself the Savior. That every single real Christian, not only do they share the same DNA, they share the same head. Jesus is in control of all of them. If you, I challenge you, if you go back through church history, I promise you, you will find a string of Christians who have thought the same things since there have been Christians. And they always seem to come down on the same side of the issues. Now, we may have some minor disagreements. Does your body ever have minor disagreements within itself? Your eyes tell you that pizza is real good, but then your heart and your esophagus and your gallbladder disagree? Yeah, that that, that doesn't change the fact that you're all under the rulership of one head. And I wanted to just throw this out here because this is a specific matter. This is the reason we are called Protestants. So I would throw this out here. Um, Matthew 28, 18. 
Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Is that what it says? What did I leave out? On earth, right? So Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? To him. So why on earth would you say that you need a man on earth to be the head of the church on earth the way Jesus is the head of the church in heaven? Roman Catholics, I'm looking at you. Why do we not have a pope? Because Roman Catholics say, well, of course Jesus is the head of the church in heaven, but, but the Pope is the head of the church on earth. No. Jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. I don't need a separate head. Only monsters and tragedies have two heads. The church is one body united under one head. And that head is Jesus Christ. So church, I just want to encourage you this morning. Um, Ms. Joyce is going to come play a, a couple of verses of an invitation hymn. It's going to be uh, number uh, 483. I'm going to come down there and sing with you during the invitation. Church, I want to encourage you, please. One of the greatest witnesses you have to the world today is your unity in love under the headship of Jesus Christ. In a body in which there are extremely different members in personality, in gifting, in background. Y'all turn on your TV for five minutes and you will see that the world is really good at hating each other and splitting each other up. It is a shame and a disgrace if the church does the same thing. This is bad. If you share the same spiritual DNA with somebody, if you share the same head as somebody else, you might be given a different gifting than them. You might be given different talents, but that doesn't mean if you're a Christian you're not part of the same body. But if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, You've never found yourself uh, repent. You, that spiritual DNA doesn't match you. You've never repented of your sin. You've never uh, trusted Jesus Christ to be saved by His blood. You, you just don't love Christians. They get on your nerves sometimes. All the time. Uh, you don't love Jesus and therefore obey Him. Maybe you try and do certain good things out here. You're, you're what we call lost. We want you to be saved to be part of the body of Christ and have the guarantee that you will be with Him forever rather than apart from Him from Him in a place called hell. If you have questions about what that means, uh, then as Ms. Joyce is going to play a couple verses, you can come down this aisle you can say, Pastor, I need to talk to you about what it means to be saved. You can catch me at the back door or you can fill out the guest card on the side of your bulletin and you can drop it in the offering plate that comes by. If you're a guest, that will be your gift to us today. So I'm going to pray, and if you need to come, you come. Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, thank you that there is one body that can be united under you. Lord, I pray that you bless this invitation time. Or if there's anybody here today that's never trusted you, that find themselves outside the body, Lord, I pray that they would understand that there's a limited time before they die. Um, 
Lord, that you would bring them and you would graft them in. And you would help them find life under the rulership of your head. Lord, I pray that you bless this church. And you glorify yourself in our time together this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can turn to page number 483 for our invitation here.